This podcast is not intended to be an investigative report, and all opinions stated herein are opinions strictly from the hosts and are not affiliated with any law enforcement entity. This is a true crime podcast and may contain information that may be disturbing to some listeners. Audience discretion is advised. Welcome to Vintage Homicide, a true crime podcast being presented to you by two forensic scientists with a passion for the vintage lifestyle. We are your hosts, Ms. Ruby Wild and Ms. Mayday. We will bring you historic murders with special insight into the era and the forensics involved to look back at what crime solving may have been like. This podcast is benefiting the 501c3 Bombshell Betty's Calendar for Charity, which is a nonprofit whose mission is to raise support and awareness for veterans' charities through community involvement, photography, and pinups. All right, Miss Mayday. There's a rumor that there's a new book coming out about Marie Curie. Okay. It has glowing reviews. Nice. Yes. As it would. <laughs> so um, we're continuing on with our Radium Girls episode. Uh, we found out all about the USRC, how diabolical they were, how much they lied, how little the five women that eventually took them down were given. And the fact that it was a rich white man that finally opened up everybody's eyes about what was happening. Now, as we said, factories were jumping up all over the place during this time that the dial painters were working. And so we wanted to cover a few others because the radium girls, usually people only cover the one that we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. And so there were other women that were victims of what happened and other companies that did the same thing and lied to their workers. So we are going to start with the Radium Dial Company, which was established in Ottawa, Illinois in 1922. They also were looking for young, nimble girls to paint dials on their watches. This company is even worse. Even if they could claim ignorance oh at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, it, okay. How so is it worse? Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're welcome. So in 1925, they hired their own doctors to examine the workers that were exhibiting the symptoms similar to those in New Jersey. So this is 1925. This is, we already know that these girls are getting radium poisoning. We already know that they're getting ready to go to trial. We already know that one of the companies has already settled with seven girls at this time for radiation poisoning. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they called the doctors in the doctors told the women they were anemic. So they lied to them. Mm -hmm. They said, this is why they were weak, why they had arthritis and why they had a hard time walking. This was why they had bad teeth, but they were perfectly healthy otherwise. So the girls were starting to say, um, I'm getting a little bit worried. I'm seeing that this is happening over in New Jersey. I'm not feeling so great. Company goes, tell you what, we're going to have doctors come in and check you out. They paid the doctors off. Yeah. So this oh is what gosh. I said. This is how the company is even worse because they outright lied to these girls. So now 1928, after the lawsuit, they saw what happened to the girls in New Jersey and they asked radium dial paint if the paint that they were using was safe. Oh, we know that this company was using toxic paint. What about ours? Is it fine? They said, absolutely, because it doesn't contain mesothorium, only radium. Mesothorium being some magical 
what? component or something. I, okay. I don't understand this, how that would be something that would assuage them of their fears. What so, is mesothorium? <laughs> mesothorium. It's the, uh, there's like two radioactive products intermediate between thorium and radiothorium, which is from thorium. So remember there's radium and there's thorium. Yeah. And so in between there's mesothorium. So meso meaning middle, it is a byproduct basically. And it's, it's a mixture usually from thorium minerals, which specifically comes from a sand. And it is a substitute that can be used a substitute for radium, basically also used in luminous paints. So it's just another radioactive product that you can put in paint to glow. So this company radium dial in Illinois is saying our paint doesn't have mesothorium, just radium. So ours is fine. Even though the trial was for radium poisoning. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand why this would make any sense. (laughs) Well, uh, they were told again, 1928, our paint is safe. You have nothing to worry about. So now they've got doctors saying you guys are fine. You've got the company saying we don't have this toxic chemical that these women were dying of. Mm. You're fine. And this completely worked until Catherine Wolf Donahue believed the lies no more. She was born in 1903, was one of four kids. She had two children of her own. She was working at the radium dial company when it opened in 1922 and continued to work there until 1931. So almost 10 years, she developed a limp from leg pain and radium claimed that it was causing too many employees to question what was causing it. So she was fired. Okay. This, this company is freaking brutal because she was limping. They're like, Uh you got, you got to go because people are getting suspicious. Yep. That that's why she was fired. Her body continued to deteriorate. Uh, as the years went on and she knew it was caused by radium dial and she started losing her teeth, pieces of her jaw, her wounds were not healing. And she started seeing that in some of her form- former coworkers as well, because they were having the same issues. She then developed a tumor in her hip, the size of a grapefruit. And then she was like, I'm done. I'm done. So in 1935, she, along with Inez Vallée, Charlotte Purcell, Pearl Payne, Marie Rossiter and Francis O'Connor. They found themselves a lawyer, Leonard Grossman. He was working pro bono for these women to go against the company and in the midst of the great depression. So this lawyer, he was like, I don't care that I have no money. I don't care that I'm not going to get any money. You guys deserve justice. Mm -hmm. And now the problem is, is like I said, this is the great depression. Radium dial company employed a lot of the town. So Mm -hmm. the locals were not really supporting these women because they was going to, it was going to take their livelihood away. Exactly. So they thought that the lawsuit was just, it it, it was going to cause problems for the entire city. Mm -hmm. Now their trial was delayed two years until 1937, no settlement. Now this time the company moved to like, by, by the time this trial happened, they moved to New York. But they were not clear to the blame because it took 1938, Catherine, remember the first first one that was leading the charge, mm-hmm. she was testifying from her deathbed because she tried to go to the hearing and she collapsed. So the doctor basically said, you're bed bound. And mm-hmm. so she testified from her bed. There's an awesome picture of it where you know they're documenting what she's saying as she's laying there. And they won. 
And the company was ordered to pay $10,000 collectively. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. ridiculous. I, is that a win? Mm, we'll see. Well, now, in 1938 maybe, but. Oh, 10, and 000. during the Great Depression. So, right. Okay. But still. Yeah. It's not enough for life. How do you put a price on that? Yeah. Yeah. So now keep in mind, they moved to New York. Mm-hmm. So Illinois couldn't collect from them. Illinois had no jurisdiction in New York to make them pay. So some of the women got nothing. What? Yeah. That's crazy. I, I'm telling you, this company was diabolical. Okay. Like everything that they did was just for their own benefit. And they didn't care about their employees one bit. And unfortunately, by uh, July 27th, 1938, Catherine did die. So uh, almost immediately following the trial. Pearl Payne, she died in 1998. Charlotte Purcell had to have her arm amputated prior to her death in 1988. Frances O'Connell, she died, it, I'm sorry, O'Connor died in 1970 and Inez Valet died in 1938. Marie Rossiter died in 1993. So these women did live longer, but it's believed because they were working for that company for a shorter amount of time. Yeah. So depending on when they started. Now, there is a statue in Ottawa, Illinois that represents these women who suffered their horrible fate for corporate greed. And it was put in place. So the whole thing started in 2006. There was an eighth grade student, Madeline Pillar, and she lobbied the elected officials to have a way to remember these women. So little eighth grade girl was like, these girls have to be remembered. So by 2011, her father was commissioned to create a life-size bronze statue called the Statue of the Radium Girl. And it's located on the northwest corner of Clinton and Jefferson Streets. So you listeners and yeah, I was like you listeners in Illinois. I know we have a few, um, go take a little, a little gander down there. Oh, okay. Now, again, we have yet another company to talk about. And this time we're going to talk about Waterbury clock company in Connecticut. It was established in 1919 and followed the same path as the companies that we have already been talking about. This company becomes Timex. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm sure almost every one of our listeners has heard of Timex. So we are talking about uh, one of their founders. Okay. Not saying Timex is the bad company. Okay. Right. Waterbury Clock Company is not Timex. (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. So Waterbury Clock Company just. Don't don't sue me. It's not Timex. (laughs) Just for relevance is known today as Timex. Basically Timex bought the company. So not Timex. Timex is not guilty. Okay. Okay. I don't want to get sued. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. We're making a clarification there. Yes. Okay. So, so what happened in this Waterbury clock company? <laughs> okay. So the victims started dying in 1925 with Frances Spletcher. She was 21. Her illness started with anemia, a sore throat, a deteriorating jaw, loose teeth, and then spontaneous fractures. A hole formed in her face when her jaw broke through her skin. So it disintegrated, made a point, and then punctured a hole through her own skin. Oh, my gosh. She died later that year. In 1927, Elizabeth Dunn died from very similar symptoms, and that included also a spontaneous leg fracture. The company only now told the ladies, don't lip dip anymore. I just can't believe all these companies in in the United States were doing this, were letting women Put the paintbrush in their mouth with radium paint. Yep. So 1927, when that lawsuit was happening with 
the first, the last week's episode. Right. It was then that they were told to stop lip dipping. Now it's unknown if they continued or not. Cause remember they get paid per dial. Yeah. Some of them were willing to gamble. I mean, I'm sure when you, you have a process, you just kind of habitually, I'm sure that motion of putting the brush oh, yeah. in their mouth was like second nature at that point. They probably couldn't even stop it if they wanted to. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's so unfortunately we don't know. And then PhD Frederick Flynn was hired by the company to examine her and the other workers. So Elizabeth Dunn, PhD, not MD, PhD. Okay. Now the difference, one is your physician. That That's your primary care physician that you go to the doctor and they diagnose whether or not you feel good. Yeah. I'm sorry, the medical doctor, the MD. Right. right. The PhD. They write papers. Yeah. They do lab experiments. They don't, they don't do the human part. Yeah. They don't see patients really, unless you're also an MD, but he was not. No. So they hired him to come in and do the examinations. And he declared all the women were perfectly fine. Zero radiation present in their bodies. Yeah. Mm. How did he assess that? I don't know. (laughs) Looking at them, I'm assuming because yeah, yeah. I couldn't find anything about any study that he conducted, Mm -hmm. but he held this up until 1928. He said that year that five women had minimal poisoning and that the company should settle with them out of court. Yeah. So this continued until 1936 after 16 women. Okay. When I say settled out of court, one of these 16 women, her family got $43 and 75 cents. That was the settlement. Yeah. This is for death. An atrocity. Yes. So now because all these claims, they're starting in 1927, everybody's finally realizing what happened and waking up to what's happening. It was part of the employee contract stating that women could only apply for a claim. So like when they got hired, they had to sign a contract saying they could only file a lawsuit within three years of ending their employment. So remember our first lawyer got it up to five yeah, or five after symptoms started or something like that. I mean, the law at that time was five. Yeah. Five after the onset of symptoms. No, but two, two years after the onset or after employment, after employment, but he argued successfully, right. For yes. To have it after symptoms start. Right. Well, now. This company, you had to sign a contract starting in 1927 that you would not like, I mean, we sign these contracts all the time. Like you will not sue us. You will not sue us past three years after you quit. Now the workers were like, "Mm, we want the job, but not that bad. So in 1941, they decided, oh, well, we'll make it better and increase your wage by two cents, which, yeah, I mean, that's a big deal at the time. During the Great Depression. Yeah. So everything else that occurred with the Radium Girls is pretty under the radar for this company. There's mm-hmm. minimal news, not many publications, no official large court cases. So most people, even though they study the Radium Girls, this company is... It just t- doesn't pop up. F- flies under the radar. Yeah. Um, it did and take me was- some... Uh, what? No, I think, I is this just because they settled out of court quietly yep. with all yep. of these victims? Yep. And no large sums were ever paid out. Oh, man. Yep. 
and I'm sure there was NDAs going on like crazy at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It took me some digging to even find that much information about that company. Now we don't know how many women actually died from radium poisoning of the dial painters. But as we said last week, good did come from these tragedies. So as time progressed, scientists realized that they could learn a lot from these girls while they were living. So they started tracking them down one by one and finding them if they were like, and asking if they were willing to contribute to research conducted by the Center for Human Radiobiology. Through these studies, they found that one of the sisters of a dial worker, the sister never worked at the factory, but she shared a bed with her sister who did. And we talked before about how the breath was radioactive. So she had been contaminated by the radium from her sister. Now by sharing the same bed. Yep. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's how radioactive these girls were. Yeah. Now they're emitting this primary radiation from their bodies, from their breath. So yeah, uh anyone in their vicinity is getting exposure. Yep. So now throughout the years, voluntary subjects that had been contaminated by radium and their families to see if they were exposed by proximity. Mm -hmm. And then, so they would over the years repeat getting tests of their bone marrow, their blood, their x-rays, and eventually their autopsies. So they were willing to go back again and again and again. So Mm -hmm. that way people can study this. Another benefit is the Manhattan project benefited off of this. Yeah. So again, remember how I said at the beginning of last week's episode regarding the war. Mm -hmm. So obviously all this stuff starts with the advent of world war one. And so they're making these dials for military planes and things like that. But then as we get into world war two, we're looking at these radioactive isotopes as fuel for potential weaponry. Right. So of course the Manhattan project is one of the largest scientific research programs in the United States that was commissioned to essentially create a weapon, right. From by extracting plutonium from uranium. And then this was going to be used for harnessing plutonium's natural fission in order to create a controlled bomb. Right. So these radionuclides are being used as this extremely powerful fuel source for these bombs. The reason why this ties into the Manhattan project is because through these studies of these poor women and over the course of time, so these long-term studies of themselves and their family members, it develops a way of understanding what safety measures are needed to be put in place when you're handling radioactive material. Right. So all of the people at the Manhattan project because they're directly working in these facilities, you know, these secret facilities in Los Alamos, New Mexico, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, Gatewood, or is it no red Gatewoods in Illinois, all of these, these locations in the United States where these secret military testing were being done, where they could isolate plutonium. It helped all of those scientists in this research project be safe, essentially that they wouldn't get these radiation exposures, the way that these women did in these factories. Yeah. It's a a sacrifice. It's crazy. 
the deaths of these women led to the creation of the Occupational Safety and Health Hazards, also known as OSHA. Right. And that made employers accountable for the health of its employees. So you don't get any more of these dirtbag companies. Right. In 1963, JFK, uh, John F. Kennedy, he signed the International Limited Test Ban Treaty, and that prohibited atomic tests above ground, underwater, and outer space. Which is interesting. Yeah. To me that they would have the foresight to think about this in space too. Right. So 56 countries operate 240 nuclear reactors, but they are highly and closely regulated thanks to the radium girls sacrifice. Right. This is, this is providing regulations for how the nuclear waste has to be disposed of to contain the leak of radioactive materials from and prevent it from getting into water sources and soil sources where humans come in contact. And the reasoning behind this is because in 1979, U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, started testing sites that the factories had occupied. The orange site in New Jersey, the levels of radioactivity were 20 times higher than the safe level. It was not just where the factories were located, but landfills near the factory where their waste was taken. 750 homes in the area needed to be decontaminated along with more than 200 acres of land. Ottawa site. Gosh. Yeah. Ottawa site. Not much better. Company went under in 1943. The building was destroyed in 1968, but the area was still contaminated. Waterbury had vacant apartment complex on the land and the levels were above EPA standards. But unfortunately, It did not qualify for funding for cleanup, so the town had to raise funds themselves to get it decontaminated. So again, Waterbury Company wasn't even willing to pay for their own cleanup. That's crazy. Yeah. And then I cannot believe the like far reaching ramifications of this, like these factories that went into business in like the twenties. Right. Yeah. And then we're talking about current day, like modern day contamination of the radioactivity in these areas. This is just nuts. Well, it's similar to Chernobyl. Yeah. Like, so Chernobyl, if you didn't know, it was a massive, uh, one of two level seven nuclear reactor accidents. The other is Fukushima. And yeah, they were just doing a safety test. A bunch of stuff happened, a reactor shut down, contamination everywhere in building four. Now, after this, so that was 1986. In 1988, they put like a like a shell over it, a lead shell to contain the radiation. But the people who put it in place said it's only going to last 20 to 30 years. So in 2016, they put another one made of steel and concrete. They call it the sarcophagus. So that was 1986. And they had to build a brand new containment unit in 2016 because it was still going to be so radioactive. Yeah. And we will forever have to continue doing this Yeah, because the decay is so long lived. That product, that radioactive product is still going to be present long before, long after we're gone. Like it's still going to be emitting radiation. Oh yeah. And granted though, that was cesium 137, not radium, but not radium, but it's the same long Mm half-life. It's the same effect though. And And that was because Sorry. No, I was going to say, when we say half-life, that means that's the danger of radioactivity. That doesn't mean that it's done. 
it's still radioactive. It's just that's when it starts going on the downhill. Yeah, it's decaying into these different products and eventually it will go inert basically. Yeah. And it, but until then, it becomes and decays into these other isotopes, which are all still very radioactive and can cause ramifications to human life and the environment. So, yeah, this is why sounds like only as of the 60s and 70s. There's been laws that are in place to contain and protect not only workers, but humans in general, you know, and this is in the United States, at least what the EPA does, right? right. And OSHA, but for workers, but it's just nuts to me, like how long after. Yeah. 50 years. Yeah. And I mean, there's been people there existing, like in these areas of orange, New Jersey and Ottawa, Illinois, like people live there and they didn't know. And then only 30 some odd years later, you know, 40 years later, are they putting in safeguards? And so those people who are living there in the interim, they're essentially all been exposed is my assumption, right? Yeah. So we know that this was a super short episode, but that's because if we packed this into the previous weeks, we would have been here for two hours plus. Right. But and I apologize for standing like this. I had an asthma attack and this is my aftermath. So I apologize. <laughs> I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. Yes. And it's nice to be back after the long holiday. Oh yeah. I totally forgot. We have yeah. not, uh, we we have not a... seen each other since early December, Miss Mayday yeah. and I. Yeah. We had a little winter break and yeah, it was good. And now we're back. And so again, episodes will probably come out on a more regular basis, but yes. Cause I am. Uh, so I posted that I had a surgery. I had a hysterectomy. So that's over and done with the recovery. Yeah. We're, yep. we're, so we're in I'm, the recovery of that. And I'm good to go now. So we get to, to keep doing these. So we're not gone forever. We are back. Hopefully yes. you leave us glowing reviews on this case. <laughs> right. Yes. Rate us, review us. And we're not going to be your ghost girls anymore. <laughs> <laughs> good tie in. I like that. Right. Um, okay. So final wrapping up joke. Okay. What do you call an optimist at a radiation factory? What? A worker with toxic positivity. Mm. <laughs> yes. It was the best I could do. Like I said, this no, is that's good. I like that one. This was a super depressing, uh, like subject to research, but I told Miss Mayday I wanted to come back hard with this one because I feel so passionate about it. Yeah, it's definitely devastating the just sheer I don't even know just disregard for the human life of these women in these factories I it's appalling but you see this time and time again in history especially with women's bodies oh yeah just they don't matter well the fact of how long I had to fight to get my stupid hysterectomy should tell you that right now yeah that just happened (laughs) right yeah yeah, so. it's it's a repeating pattern and I don't know how I'm talking about it, I guess helps. Like, how do we get out of this pattern, right? Like these doctors that tell women that their bodies are fine and they're oftentimes men, right? Men <laughs> who are telling us that our bodies are fine and they don't have our bodies. They don't understand what the, yeah. living in our bodies feels like and yeah, it's just, I guess, maybe through sharing these stories of the Radium Girls, more awareness, we can, 
one acknowledge their, I guess, sacrifice. Yeah. And two, hopefully learn from these sort of things in the future. Yes. And there is a movie called Radium Girls that I did watch. I enjoyed it. Um, I have not seen it. And I did see that when I started researching this episode. I, yeah, I should, I should watch it. I enjoyed it. I think that they did, they did the women justice in my opinion. Yeah. But, but yeah, so we'll, we'll try and list some, some of the research that's been done on radium. Yeah. And the show notes. Yeah. And the show notes. And I think um, the NIST paper would be something good. It has a lot of sort of the re the references for this. Okay. And sort of the backstory of a lot of the different scientists that were involved. So we'll go and ahead. And if you're ever looking for references, it's for the true crime part, which is my part, go through the first 12 pages of Google and then go down every rabbit hole you could find. <laughs> so <laughs> that's if how you, you ever your, wonder what my sources your... are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's that. Wild does her research. She just goes down the rabbit hole of all the Google search. <laughs> yes. Yes. If there is a rabbit hole, I have gone down it. So I know that we don't list our majority of our sources in the show notes, but just so you know, that's, that's what I do. Yeah. I usually do the scientific paper side of that <laughs> um, and look up the, the scientific literature, um, whether it's from medical journals or, you know, NIST, I just kind of pull from a ton of published articles on the sort of background information of the science. Yeah. So, so yeah. wasn't sure if you guys were, <laughs> but if you stayed with us this long, we have another exciting episode next week. That's right. We'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Vintage Homicide is produced by J.H. Cabral. Additional editing and theme music produced by Matt Beck. A special thanks to Bonnie Navarro Photography and Bombshell Betty's Calendar. Please visit bombshellbettyscalendars.com for more information. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Vintage Homicide Podcast. Please subscribe wherever you prefer to download your podcasts and join us next time for more tantalizing tales of murder and mystery. 